We'll be reading from John 12, 1 through 7, and then 12 through 15. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard and an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Thank you, Greg. A bunch of years ago when I was involved in youth ministry, we would go to all these different youth events, youth rallies, and to encourage kids in, in the Lord and to raise them up. And at one of these uh, youth rallies, we, we were in a big city and, and uh, there was a metro system. And uh, so I was with uh, about 50, 50 high school kids and then across the way there was a bunch of other high school kids who were at this uh, Christian youth conference. And all of a sudden, it started to be this. We love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? And then across the tracks, oh yeah? We love Jesus. How about you? We love Jesus. Yes, we do. And it went back and forth and back and forth, shouting. And you almost got upset with each other. Like, you think you love Jesus. What about us? And we kept yelling and yelling, and the whole metro system was filled with young Christians yelling, we love Jesus, yes we do, we love Jesus, how about you? And then we hopped on the metro and took it straight to the mall. (laughs) So it was a couple thousand years ago on what we call Palm Sunday. Everybody's cheering for Jesus. It's an amazing day of praise and celebration, waving palm branches that symbolize victory in battle. But what was it like for Jesus on that Palm Sunday? The one who came to save the lost by dying on the cross for our sin. Were people's hearts drawn to him? Was he receiving True worship and praise. And that's the question for us this morning. Are your hearts drawn to Jesus? And are you giving them true worship 
and praise. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning to see your heart for us. We desire to give you praise, Lord Jesus, and to to worship you with all of our hearts. And so this morning, would you receive that? For you are Lord, you are Savior, you are King of Kings, and we adore you. In your precious name, amen. Palm Sunday is a wonderful Christian tradition. It's been celebrated for many centuries, and and we can rejoice and we can celebrate, and, and we can... We can enjoy the little children coming in with palm branches because we know, as followers of Jesus Christ, we know that Jesus is Savior. We know that he has conquered death. We know that he's victorious king and that he's worthy of our praise. But what was it like when it happened that day? How did God in the flesh, Jesus, look upon that day? It was Passover time. Hundreds of thousands were coming into Jerusalem to celebrate and to worship God. Rome, still in control, a heavy thumb upon the people of Israel. Oppression, and the people are poor, and the people are looking for an answer to the Roman oppression. Jesus is popular. He's super popular. He was popular in Galilee. He'd been healing many, touching many lives. Word had gotten out about Jesus. And then, guess what? Word got out that he raised a guy from the dead. It drew a crowd. We want to see, we want to know, we want to meet this man who raised Lazarus from the dead. And so his popularity was incredible at this time. Maybe this one, this Jesus, can deliver us from the oppression that we face. There was a lot of curiosity that was going on. And people are drawn to see Jesus. There is an excitement in the air that Jesus is coming to town. Keena and I were in France many years ago, and and as we were... uh, Leaving uh, France, we, we arrived in Paris because we were going to catch a plane out of Paris back home. And so we got in late. We got in late one evening, and then we woke up the next morning in Paris. And it's like, well, let's just go out. We got the whole day, so let's just go out and, and walk and enjoy the city. We were about a, uh, about a mile away from downtown Paris, Champs-Élysées. So we started to take this walk, and as we were getting closer, people were... were were not only coming off the metro in, in Paris, but they were running off the metro. And, and all of a sudden, there was, I mean, people were running by us. And it's like, well, what do we do? So we just started to run with them. <laughs> and, and so we're running with them, and we arrive on the Champs-Élysées, and there are hundreds of thousands of people. It was the final day of the Tour de France. We had no idea. <laughs> We had no idea. And, and people are just shouting out. It was, it was Lance Armstrong's fifth win. 
And so they're shouting out, Lance, Lance. Everybody's shouting out, Lance, here he comes. The French are all... (laughs) But the rest of the crowd is Lance. And so we too, we don't even care about Lance, but we're... Lance! (laughs) A lot of curiosity, a lot of energy, a lot of excitement. What's going on in the hearts of the people? As Jesus is coming into the city... Ray Stedman says, The traditional view of this event is that it was a well-deserved recognition by our Lord of his Messiahship. And that at last he was receiving a proper welcome as king in the fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah, which is what is quoted in this passage. The crowd cried out, Hosanna, which means save us now. Lots of people curious. And, you know, one of the things you need to realize about this scene, as thousands upon thousands, it says in the other Gospels, multitudes, as they were gathered around crying out Hosanna, here's the situation always. There's going to be hearts that are really drawn to Jesus. And then there's just going to be a lot of curiosity. But God wants our hearts. He doesn't want us just crying out Hosanna. He wants our hearts. What was happening that Palm Sunday? Who's putting on the parade? In verse 12 of John, it says, The great crowd had come to the feast. They heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And these people welcomed Jesus. were not necessarily the residents of Jerusalem, but they were pilgrims coming in for Passover, for the feast. Many had come from other countries as well. Was this an incredible welcoming event? The people of Jerusalem finally saying, Yes, finally, the Savior has come. Was that what was going on? Matthew's account says, actually, as the procession came down from the Mount of Olives, instead of joining in the Hosannas, the people in the city suspiciously asked, who is this man who's stirring up all this stuff? You've got to understand, there's the Roman peace going on. You've got to keep it peaceful. It's Passover time. Who is this man who's coming into our city? And they actually had to answer, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. How did this whole Palm Sunday, this day come about? Was it just a spontaneous day? Everybody was running, and all of a sudden, well, let's just get Jesus on a donkey and let's celebrate. How did it come about? It's interesting as you read all the Gospels and and how the day took place, you come to find it's not a spontaneous demonstration. It's something that from the very beginning was orchestrated by our Lord Jesus Christ orchestrated by God's great love to bring his son to die on the cross for our sin. The timing was on his schedule. Think about the donkey. Did the donkey just show up? No, Jesus had planned out. He had met with people. And that way he told his disciples, hey, go to the city, there's going to be a donkey there. Think it was just there? No, he had talked to people. He also, at one of the visits, had prepared the room for Passover. I need a room for Passover with my disciples. It'll be my final supper. 
all planned out by God. And Jesus lived out the fulfillment of prophecy of Zechariah, who said there will be one who rides in on a donkey. Humble, humble king. There was also another amazing prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. I encourage you to read it. We don't totally grasp Daniel's prophecy, but it was understood in Daniel's prophecy in chapter 9 there would be this 490-year period that would be starting to commence as the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem following the Babylonian captivity started. And when 400 of those, 483 of those years had gone by, Daniel's prophecy says, then the Messiah, the prince, will be presented to his people. Some say this was the exact day. I, I don't know that for sure. But I do know one thing. The time was near. And so Jesus, living out the prophecy of Daniel and Zechariah and the cries from Psalm 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, was lived out on this day, all orchestrated by God. His heart for his people. As people are giving praise, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Was it even triumphal? It wasn't spontaneous. Was it triumphal? He starts riding on the donkey, and one of the things we see as we read the different Gospels, and as Jesus receives the praise, and again, there are those whose hearts are towards Jesus. And he receives that praise. You know, it says in the other Gospels, hey, I, I'm not going to shut up my disciples. Even the rocks are going to proclaim my name. This is a day that's been orchestrated and set out by, by the Lord. It's my time to go to the cross. And so I will receive that praise, and it's also fulfillment of what God has intended. The rocks can't shut up about who I am. But it's interesting, as you think, what's going on with Jesus? As he's riding on the donkey and receiving this, and the shouts are coming out, Hosanna, Hosanna. What's going on with Jesus? And Luke 19 says that, he drew down to the edge of the city. And when he drew near, he saw the city and he wept. And he wept. And it wasn't a little cry. The Greek language is very clear. It was a sobbing. It was an ache to the core of his soul. He wept on Palm Sunday. And he said, would that even today you knew the thing that makes for peace, which is Jesus Christ, Savior of our soul. Not political Savior, not delivering you from Roman oppression, Savior of your soul. They didn't believe. Those in the city didn't believe in the prophecy. They wouldn't receive Messiah. It must have been such a bittersweet day for Jesus. Some who were crying out and hearts were drawn near, and then many in that crowd, as we know, would enter in and cry out, crucify him. It was a tearful entry by Jesus. And he came in as king, not to receive the throne, but in tears and actually to announce judgment. And in Luke 19, right after he enters into the city, 
what does he do? He goes and he turns the tables upside down in the temple. Judgment upon the people. This was the real Palm Sunday. Jesus came in fulfillment of the prophecies. Jesus came to be a king who would die on the cross. He was not riding on a war horse, but on a donkey, a symbol of peace. His only scepter was a broken reed. His only crown was a crown of thorns. His only throne was a bloody cross. The whole scene, with all the outward appearance of this great parade and triumphal entry, Yet the outward appearance meant nothing to the Lord without hearts that were yielded to him. And that's what God does. He searches our hearts. We may cry out, Hosanna, blessed is the name of the Lord, but he searches our hearts because he wants authentic worship and praise. Because God had such amazing love for us that he sent his only son. And he wants relationship with us each and every one of us, that we would yield our hearts unto him. He is indeed worthy of our praise. And he desires authentic worship from us. But he wants a relationship that is full of faith and belief in Jesus, that it leads to a transformed life. Are you just crying out Hosanna? Or is your heart surrendered to Christ? What does authentic worship look like? What is beautiful? What is pleasing to God? And I was thinking about that question and I was reading, as I was reading John 12's passage on the triumphal entry. I just was soaking in the whole passage. And I realized there's a scene of real authentic and beautiful worship, and it's at the beginning of John 12. It's the day before the triumphal entry that I think we see hearts yielded unto God, a worship that is beautiful to Jesus, and that we would be like those who were in that room the day before the triumph. So I want to take you there, the beginning of John 12. I think the big picture is a picture that the kingdom has come. The kingdom has come. Being in the presence of Jesus, He has arrived, the true Messiah, and now we are in His presence and bowing down, like like in the Scriptures and Revelation that was read, bowing down and worshiping the Lamb of God. It's the final days, the final week, before Jesus would go on the cross. And like all of Scripture, and and for all of us, when you know your time is coming to an end, the last days are important, aren't they? The actions of Jesus and his words and what he does, what he says is so important and has a lot of weight into what's going on. So in the final week of Jesus' life, he goes to Bethany, this little town just outside of Jerusalem. He goes over to Bethany to his dear 
friends, with his dear friends. The scripture says he goes to Simon the leper's house. Simon, we don't know much about Simon the leper except that, that uh, he was a leper that was healed by Jesus and obviously now could be in the presence of community because he was healed of leprosy. He goes to be with Simon the leper to have dinner with them. And at this place is Mary and Martha and Lazarus, yes, the guy who was raised from the dead. And there's quite a stir over Lazarus. There's actually a warrant out from his, for his arrest. And Simon, Simon takes a risk on having Lazarus in his house because Lazarus gives nothing but testimony to Jesus, the one who raised me from the dead. And trust me, the enemies of God want this guy taken out. So here's this scene, this private dinner with Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and the disciples of Jesus Christ at Simon's house. And they're there together. And verse 2 of chapter 12 says, And they provide a dinner for Jesus. And I was just thinking, I'm like, what is that like? What, what do you give God in the flesh? What does he like to eat? This is his final week. What's the meal that's prepared? He oftentimes would call fish out of the Sea of Galilee and cook them up. He must have loved fish. I was like, do you, do you give Jesus lamb? But that's a little weird. You're lamb of the world. That's a little odd. Goat? Pizza, maybe. But they have a wonderful dinner together. It's actually kind of a feast. And we see in the scene that there's several forms of worship that are going on. Martha is doing her typical. What is she doing? She's, she's serving. But I, I don't want you to miss something. In this scene, I think it's a beautiful act of service. She just loved to serve. Previous scenes, we saw she was getting all grumpy. Hey, get Mary to help me out. Not here. I think she just loves to serve. It's worship unto Jesus. And then we find Lazarus. He's entering into worship. It, it, says, it says he's laying down. He's reclining. I think still a little tired from the being dead thing. You know, but he's laying out and he's he's with Jesus. That's worship. I'm just with Jesus. And then this beautiful scene. In the middle of it all. There's one. Who seems to see with spiritual eyes like no other. I think that came as the Holy Spirit, I believe, ministered to Mary one who truly recognizes that the king has come, the king of kings. One who seems to understand that Jesus must die. And so you can imagine in her heart, Mary, grieving. She loved Jesus. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, closest friends of Jesus. And Mary seemed to be dialed in, and I believe again through the power of the Holy Spirit. And at the same time of grieving, there was, I believe, incredible thankfulness and devotion. And we're going to witness this. We're going to witness extravagant love that's poured out because extravagant love would be given by God through His Son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for our sin. And Mary was going to pour out extravagant love to her beloved Jesus. 
I think Mary's spirit is bursting with love. She can't stand it anymore. She's watching. She's watching the scene taking place, this incredible feast, this time with Jesus. Again, there's all of this tension going on around because Lazarus has been raised from the dead. And she's watching, she's watching her sister Martha serving. And she's watching Lazarus reclining at the table with Jesus. And I think she's just pulling her hair out like, You guys! You're missing it. This isn't just normal time together with Jesus. It's anything but normal right now. And the scriptures in verse 3 say, the NIV doesn't do a good job of this, but it says, Therefore Mary broke out this beautiful oil, this nard, this perfume. I think the the therefore, because of all that's going on and all that's stirring up in her heart, and she just, she has to express her love for Jesus somehow. And so she takes this alabaster jar and she breaks it and she pours it all over Jesus. Beautiful, true devotion and worship. And as she entered in, the scriptures, listen, look at this. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. All the conversation stopped, I think, at that moment. And all attention was focused on Jesus and all that Mary was doing in worship unto him. Let's look at our worship. All senses are tied in at this moment, especially the aroma. She broke this jar. The other Gospels say she poured it on his head as well. Here it just says the feet, but we just, we just get this picture of it just flowed all over his body down to his feet. This worship was costly. The scriptures say that it was so much denarii that they, the, the disciples cried out, especially Judas, wait a second. What a waste. What a waste. This is so expensive. This could feed the poor. We've come to know that the amount of money was a year's work that this cost. This beautiful perfume came from India. It was hard to acquire, and it was very expensive. And many were forced to save for many years to get enough of it to have for their funeral for their burial. There may have been some custom things that we see in this passage that took place. One of the customs was, in the breaking of the jar, one of the customs was this. When someone important came in and they used a glass to drink out of, at the end of the meal, the glass would be taken and broken so that nobody else could use this glass because it came from this person of honor. There's nobody else who can use that. And maybe in the breaking of jar, there is nobody who is more worthy than Jesus. He is the ultimate and he is the highest guest that we could have. Another custom that would take place is 
in the broken alabaster jar is that they would take the jar and they would break it up into fragments and they would place it in in the burial of the one who was placed in the grave. Perhaps that's why she did some of the things she did. I think one of the reasons that she broke the jar was to get every last little bit of that beautiful perfume because it all belonged to Jesus. It was for him and him alone. Every drop to use on the Lord Jesus. And then she unbound her hair and she wiped up the excess ointment on it. Judas is complaining. And Jesus says, Judas, quiet. Don't say another word. The other Gospels say this in Matthew. Let her alone. She has done a beautiful thing to me. And listen to this. Wherever this Gospel is preached in all the world... This deed shall be spoken of her in memory to her. Everywhere that this is preached about what took place, it will be remembered of Mary's worship unto me, preparing me. And John says that. It's preparing me for my burial. It's a beautiful aroma of worship unto Jesus. A fragrance that fills the heart that comes from love and care. Mary is expressing in action that everything belongs to you, Jesus. And so I pour it out. So in this little house in Bethany, praise is poured out unto Jesus, an extravagant love. Jill Briscoe says, the smell of that perfume probably poured out into the streets, and initially the people would say, who died? But eventually, I think, that aroma as it was smelled was who was that person who worshipped Jesus. Her story is told. That aroma is an aroma of worship. And preparing the king for what he must do. He must die on the cross for our sin. Mary seemed to know, eyes wide open, this extravagant love, a heart that is changed by Jesus, And for some reason, like Peter, when Peter was asked, who do they say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, you didn't get that by yourself. I think the same thing's happening with Mary here. You didn't get this understanding by yourself. But your heart has been changed by my love. I think Mary realized she was in need of a Savior. And she was thankful, not only for the resurrection of of her brother Lazarus, but for what Jesus had done in her heart. And she poured out worship. Her humility, and that's what authentic worship is, her humility is put on display in profound ways. She, she came into the presence of men. That was unheard of. And she's willing to work as a common slave. She literally washes the feet of Jesus with the ointment and with her hair. And then she's seen in public she unbounds her hair 
Shame. That's shameful. That's disgrace. She unbounds her hair and she wipes the feet of Jesus. She poured out all expense, everything that she had upon Jesus, and she surrendered completely all of her being unto Jesus in authentic and beautiful and devoted worship unto Jesus. She didn't care what people thought. She didn't care the cost. It was poured out. When you love somebody and your heart is turned by them, there is no cost. It reminds me when I went to go find a ring for Kina. I didn't have I didn't have <clears throat> I didn't have money. But thank God my buddy had his credit card. But we found this ring in a little town called Newburyport, Massachusetts. It was on my way traveling to Washington, D.C. to work for a year with a fellowship. And in this little town, I found this ring. It's about a thousand bucks. I didn't have close to that. I was like, she's worth it. She's worth it. Mary said, you're worth it. Everything I have because you are the Savior of the world. The only people who were anointed in those days were kings and priests and prophets and the dead. It seemed like Mary knew Jesus is king and priest and prophet and he will die. I don't know if she knew he'd be raised again, but he was raised again. And so this beautiful aroma was poured out. Worship is a heart transformed that expresses itself regardless of cost. A choice to to offer love out of a grateful heart. He is worthy of everything that we can render unto Him. Because all He has comes from Him. No gift is too excessive. No expression of love is over the top. No form of worship should ever be too considered too extravagant for Jesus. And as Augustine said, Christ is not valued at all unless he is valued above all. Let's pray. Father, we are moved by this story and remembering Mary and her worship to you. And so, Father, we give our lives to you this morning. And, Father, transform us. Transform our hearts. Draw us near to you. We don't want to be just crying Hosanna. We want to to praise you because of the work you've done in our lives, that you saved us, that you rose again, and that you give us life as we believe upon you. So this morning, Father, as we sing unto you, Would you receive our worship? May it be a beautiful aroma unto you.